This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Well, maybe you went about this week with your friends and family, and perhaps they asked you, well, what did y'all talk about in church Sunday? And you looked at them with a straight face and said, we talked about God. And they said, duh. Of course you're going to talk about God. You're in church. But here's the question. Oh, we talk about God. We sing about God. We, we even preach about God. But here is the bottom line question. Do you know God? Now, I'm not asking you, do you know about God? Nor am I asking you, do you love God? I am asking you very clearly, do you know God? Do you know him intimately, deeply? That's the key to the series we're doing right now. We're calling it God 101. And it is, it's sort of going back to the basics. But oftentimes we all need sometimes to go back to the basics. We need to relay our foundation. We need to affirm and reaffirm the first principles. So we're talking about God. Last week, we looked at ourselves in comparison to God. Because we need to get the right perspective of God. Because more often than not, we actually think we're smarter than God. We actually think we know more about him. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? Hey, I'm on social media. I see the Instagram intelligentsia. I see the Facebook physicians, the theologians out there. And unfortunately, that's where most people get their information today. And that's tragic. So we're going to go right back to the source and we're going to talk about God. And our goal is that we might not just know about him, but that we might really know him. So this morning we're going to continue to do that and we're going to do some unboxing of God. You know, one of the things that's out there today when you buy a new piece of uh, uh, electronic, when you buy a new device or a new iWatch or a smart speaker, one of the things I've noticed, I think it's kind of funny, you go on YouTube and they have unboxing videos. Have you seen those? Yes, amen, thank you. I think they're kind of silly myself. Guy gets on there, a young lady gets on there, and you know, you know what you watch for 10 minutes? <laughs> you watch them take it out of the box. You know, I learned how to unbox stuff when I was a kid. Biggest Christmas day and birthdays, I can unbox stuff with the fury. I know how to unbox things. Reason why is I like to take it out of the box. And listen, when we were little, we didn't have this stuff, so we played with the box. Amen? I made some good spaceships out of refrigerator boxes. That's right. They were great forts. But we're going to unbox God. Hopefully we'll do a better job than the YouTube videos. And as we do that this morning, I want to bring you, first of all, to a question asked by Dr. Tony Evans, theologian, pastor, former professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, one of my, one of my personal heroes. I love this man, Tony Evans. And this is what he says about our understanding of God. He says, if you do not understand God's character, you will fall prey to circumstances dictating your emotions. Did you hear what he said? He said, 
if you don't understand God clearly enough, if you don't understand who he is and his character, then you will fall prey to allowing the circumstances in your life, the difficulties, the trials, the struggles, and yes, sometimes even the triumphs, those will dictate your emotions. He offers an alternative, and that's what we're going to do this morning. He says, instead, trust in him who oversees the circumstances. Trust in God who knows what's going on in your life. Trust in God who allows things to happen in your life. Understand this about God. We're going to talk about God's sovereignty later. But understand this about God. Nothing happens in your life, good or bad, unless he either allows it or causes it to happen. That's a hard truth, isn't it? That is a hard truth to hear because you're going to fill in the blanks now in your own mind. You mean God allowed and fill in the blank. A child to die of sickness, a natural disaster to take out a whole generation. You mean God allowed a Hitler? How could God allow such things? Well, that's why we're doing this, to unpack all of these issues and questions. And those are valid questions. But the fact of the matter is, if there is a God who created the universe and all that is in it, including you and I, then it stands to reason that he's sovereign. In other words, he runs everything. And it stands to reason that nothing gets past him. And so rather than allow the roller coaster of life to to cause you grief, and life is a roller coaster. Some of you are on really steep inclines right now. Things are going on and you're just hanging on. God bless you. Some people are climbing up. But regardless, everybody goes through those high highs and those low lows. And the trip up and the trip down can be scary. But God is God. We're going to learn about him as we continue on. And this morning we're going to look in Psalm 139 and we're going to look at King David. King David, and this is what I love about biblical personalities, is understand this. They, they dealt with things like we deal with. They, they, they dealt with betrayal. They dealt with sickness. They dealt with financial problems. They dealt with problems of of the job, problems from people. They dealt with all sorts of things. And they weren't perfect. Y'all know David, he wasn't perfect. I don't have to reiterate all the stuff that he got messed up in until he got his heart right back with God. So we're going to look at David. We're going to look at this imperfect man, yet how he interacted with God. And I love this quote from Roger Ellsworth. He said this, he said, we are inclined to praise God for blessings that we have received, which is right. We should do that. But King David praised God for who he is. David, yes, he celebrated God's blessings, of course, and we ought to do that. But David, David praised God for just being God, for who he is. Now notice what he goes on to say. He says, our praise will never be what it should be until we ascend to this level. Until we move past just thanking him for the good things. Until we get to the place where we just praise God for being God. Yes, even in difficult times. So we're going to look at this and we're going to take God out of the box that we've put him in. Because most people have God wrapped in a box. He's nice and comfortable for them there. People get a little bit antsy when we start taking off the wrapping paper and we start pulling off the tape. Because when we come face to face with the holy, righteous, 
magnificent God, lives are either going to change or struggle. So let's seek God's face as we do this this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege again of being in this place today. Father, we thank you for those who can't be here, but Lord, will be watching this on video, listening on a podcast. Father, bless them and may your word reach into their hearts as well. Father, I do pray that not only would we be encouraged today, but Lord, through knowing you better, I pray that we would be challenged. And Father, I pray that you would tear down anything that gets in the way of my knowing you better as well as those who are here this morning. And Father, when we walk away today, Father, may we be closer to you. May we know more about you. And Father, may you change our hearts and lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Yep, you need to read the life of King David. It's spread sporadically throughout the Old Testament. But as you draw it together, if you get sort of a harmony of the Testaments, and those are are available, you can read about the life of King David and the struggles that he dealt with. King David was a leader. Leaders oftentimes even go through harsher struggles than people who are non-leaders. And he he was attacked on all sides. He was verbally abused. He was physically abused. He even had family issues, the likes of which you and I can't even probably understand. He struggled. Yes, he was King David, and yes, he was wealthy. But position and finance don't mean a thing when life is having its ups and downs. Can You know, you understand what I'm saying? You can live in a giant mansion, but if your life isn't where it ought to be, you could be struggling. So let's look at Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 is an amazing psalm because in it, as, 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 as Ellsworth said, David didn't just sit and rattle off gratitude for blessings. David reflected upon God as David was facing the challenges in his life. So let's look at David's reflection upon God and see if we can't draw lessons from that. So I want you to notice three character traits about God in this, in this point as we look at it this morning. Three aspects of God's character. They may be familiar to you. They may not be. What I'm hoping is that they cause you to think, cause you to look differently. First of all, the Bible tells us of the omniscience of God. That's a big word. These are all, by the way, called the omnis of God. Omni means all. The omniscience of God, which means God knows all things. God knows everything. He says in verse 1 of chapter 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. He says in verse 2, you know, look at how many times you say know and known and understand. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand, listen to this, you understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Verse four, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. And he would have to because he is God. What David here is reflecting on is the idea that no matter what he's going through, God knows about it. No matter who's giving David grief, God knows about it. 
Not only does God know our outside circumstances, but God also knows the thoughts of our hearts. Say, "Uh uh-oh. It's one thing for God to know what I'm doing. Does God really know what I'm thinking? Yeah. Everything that you and I think, everything that you and I consider, God knows that. Which, if you ask me, has a kind of a double-edged situation. It's comforting to know that when I'm trying to do something right and people don't understand it, God knows. God knows, you've heard it, God knows my heart. God knows my mind. God knows. And that's comforting when people, you make decisions and you make choices and you do things and people don't like it, they don't understand it, they, they, don't, they don't get it, but God knows. And we've all been that way. We've all experienced things. We try to do something good. Especially you parents, when you're trying to discipline your children, your children get mad. They don't understand. But listen, God knows what you're trying to do. When you're at work and you're trying to help a coworker through a difficult thing and they just look at you and say, you don't understand. God knows you're trying to help them. Even when we make mistakes, God understands. He knows we're at least we're trying to do what's right. Our intentions are good. But there's the other side of that little coin. God knows when we're putting on an act. God can see beyond the hypocrisy. You know, the word hypocrite is a neat word in the Greek. It's actually a Greek word, and it literally means actor. In other words, if you are an actor in a Greek drama, they would call you a hypocrite, and that would not be an insult. It literally means to wear a mask over and have your face under. And God knows when we're playing the hypocrite, too. God knows when we're smiling and waving, and he knows the darkness in our hearts. Bottom line is God knows everything. And even those things that we whisper, when you go to lunch and you talk about that person you don't like, or that person goes to lunch and talk about you because they don't like you, you know what? God hears it. God knows it. I preached this message several years ago and a lady got so upset she called me that afternoon. Is that really in there? I said, why? You got a problem? You a little guilty? Yes, God knows these things. He said, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He goes on to say, we don't have time to cover the whole psalm. You could read it at your own devotional time. He says in verse 6, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain it. It's too high. David was just overwhelmed with the fact that God knows everything. The book of Hebrews chapter 4 says that he knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. So understand this. When you're struggling through something... God knows what you're struggling through. And there are times when we have unspoken needs and unspoken requests. And we're afraid to share it with anybody because we're afraid of what people might think of us or we're afraid of somebody getting mad at us. But understand this, God knows you're struggling and he loves you. You can take comfort of that, but you can also understand that when you're trying to pull a sham, when you're trying to be something when you're not, when your words are are one thing, but your thoughts are another, God knows that too. So it should prompt us. It should motivate us to be genuine in our interactions with others and genuine in our heart as well. So God knows all things. That's one aspect of his character. He is omniscient. He knows all things. Not only that, but God is everywhere. God is everywhere. Look what he goes on to say. He says in verse seven, where can I go from your spirit? 
Or where can I flee from your presence? In other words, where, where can I go, God, that you're not there? The Bible says in John chapter 4 that God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. God is everywhere. He's God. He says in verse 8, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. He says, if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there also. In other words, if I'm up on the moon and I die, God is there with me. If, if I go to the deepest parts of the earth, even to the grave, if I know him, he is with me. You are there. Verse 9, if I take wings, take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me. I bet you Jonah had this passage on his mind when he was fleeing from God. God told Jonah, he said, Jonah, I need you to serve. I need you to go to the Ninevites. Job said, "Uh uh-uh, those are mean people. I'm not going to the mean people, Lord. I'm getting out of town. I'll see you. Running from God. Can't do it. Can't do it. God is everywhere present because God is not limited by space. He's not limited by space. God is unlimited. God is spaceless. And so while God is gathered right here with us as we worship him this morning, God is also on another church in Cabarrus County. God is also in Japan. God is also in Africa. God is also in China. God is also in Europe. God is everywhere at one time. By the way, that's, the devil's not like that. See, the devil is limited. The devil cannot be everywhere at once. I hear people say, oh, the devil's doing this in my life. Oh, the devil put, uh uh-uh, devil doesn't do anything with you and me. Devil doesn't probably know who you are. Oh, his minions give us grief. That's, that's, you call them demons. The devil's doing stuff with the bigger fish. He's after presidents and potentates. He's not God. He's not like God. Don't worry too much about that. But God is everywhere present. There is no place you can go from him. He says in verse 11, If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall uh, even the night shall be light around me. Because in other words, nothing can get so black and difficult and bleak that God doesn't see it. Verse 12, Even the darkness shall not hide me from you, but the night shines as the day, the darkness and the light both are alike to you. So how do I find comfort? What do I do with that? Well, understand this. God knows where you're at all the time, and he's there with you. God knows when you're sitting in the waiting room at the hospital, struggling, waiting on a loved one. God knows when you're the one laying on the table being treated. And God knows when you're the doctor, and he's there with you when you're working on that patient. God knows when you're in school and he's there with you in school. I think the most tangible illustration of that was when the disciples were on the boat in the Sea of Galilee and the storm broke out. Where was Jesus? Back of the boat sleeping. And they were all freaking out. They were going crazy. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And Jesus said, what is your problem? I'm with you in the same boat. Wherever you go, God is there with you. He's there with you in your living room. He's there with you at work. He's there with you as you're out playing. 
He's there with you at the store. He is everywhere you are. And listen, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, God's Spirit dwells in you as well. Isn't that wonderful? Wherever you go, God is there. Whatever you do, God sees it. And again, two edges to that. There's the comforting side. If you're in the hospital, he's there with you. If you're, if you're struggling with the deadline, he's there with you. If you're in front of the HR person at work being lambasted, he's there with you. If you're celebrating something, he's there with you. Or if you're somewhere else doing something you shouldn't be doing at some place you shouldn't be, he's there with you. You cannot run from God. You cannot hide from God. I'm amazed at how many people think that if they leave the church, God will leave them alone. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Ask Jonah. He was in the same boat as his disciples in the storm. And when Jonah thought he could run from him, uh, uh-uh, God was there. He is everywhere present. He is everywhere present. Not only that, but God is also all powerful. He's omnipotent, omnipotent. He is all powerful. Look at how David speaks of his, of his birth and his formation. He says in verse 13, you, for you formed me in my inward parts. You formed my inward parts. And in verse 13, you covered me in my mother's womb. That word covered in the, in the Hebrew literally means he weaved us in the womb. He weaves us. This is why abortion should be a big deal today. The moment of conception, God makes us a human. This is the, this is the power of God. This is the same God that created everything that is around us, the whole universe, out of nothing. Only God can do that. God is the unmoved mover. God is the first cause. God is creator. And he is all-powerful. People will then say, oh, well, if God is all-powerful, can he, can he make a square circle? No. God is also logical. God not, he's not, there's no such thing as a square circle. Can God make anything too heavy for him to lift? Well, for one thing, God doesn't have biceps like we do. And for another thing, again, that's illogical. God does not, God is the seat and the focus of logic. God does not do things outside of his character. Here's something else that God can't do. God cannot lie. He cannot break a promise. So within God's character, yes, because of his nature and who he is, there are things he can't do. And I'm glad of it personally. But God nonetheless is all powerful. You say, if God is all powerful, then why is there so much evil in the world? And why doesn't he do anything to stop it? Well, the fact of the matter is there is evil in the world. And God has allowed it because God constantly from the Garden of Eden up until now, God seeks to give humanity a choice. He's given us a free will. He wants us to either choose for him or choose against him. And in order for you and I to have a choice to make, there has to be a choice against. And yes, God has allowed evil in this world. And the evil in this world is a result of humanity's sin and fallen nature. When humanity fell, all nature fell with humanity. Romans 8 tells us that very clearly. 
Romans 8 tells us even the creation that is broken and flawed groans for his redemption. And know this, because God hasn't dealt with evil in the way you and I want him to, doesn't mean he won't. Now, in a sense, God has already dealt with evil when Jesus died on the cross and paid the sin debt for all humanity. This world for us is just temporary. My sin, your sin, was nailed to the cross of Calvary. Jesus bled and allowed his body to be broken and he died. And there he took care of the evil of sin and the evil of humanity for eternity. And all who would come to him, trusting in him and owning their sin, receive Christ as Savior. Will they get saved? And one day God is going to bring an end to all evil. He's going to judge all of mankind. So just because he hasn't done something doesn't mean he won't do something. And in a sense, he has done something. He's provided heaven. He's provided his word. He's provided his spirit. And he's given us, again, a free will to choose good or evil. What do you think most people choose? He is all-powerful. He goes on in verse 14. He says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. He goes on to say in verse 15 that he was skillfully wrought. He praises God for his amazing works. And yes, our God is a miracle-working God. How can we doubt that if he's capable of creating a universe and all life? Certainly he can part a sea, turn water into wine, and raise the dead. So God is all-powerful, everywhere present, and he knows everything. He's omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Look at, look at David's reaction to this as he's reflecting on this, verse 17 and 18. He says, how precious are your thoughts, look at this, to me, O God. Here is this God who is this amazing being, pure essence and existence itself. All-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, and yet he thinks of you. He thinks of you. Today we have over 7 billion people on the planet. Some sociologists tell us that everyone who has ever lived, as far as numbers are concerned, we have more alive today than ever. Seven billion, that's a lot of people. And yet God thinks of every single one of them. He thinks of you. He thinks of me. How can he do that? He's God. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Wherever you go, he's with you. Even in the deepest, most difficult aspects of life, he's with you. And no matter what you're dealing with, he's in control and he can take care of it in his way and in his will. He goes, how great is the sum of your thoughts? Verse 18, if I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand when I take away, when I'm awake rather, I am still with you. David is just blown away by the fact that in spite of his grandeur and majesty, God still loves him. And he loves you. You know, one thing we Christians do when we pray, and we've learned to do this over the years, and I do it too, but oftentimes when we pray, what do we say? We say, Lord, be with us today. I've said it, you've said it. But you know what? As a believer especially, you don't have to pray that prayer. God is with you. 
Here's a little thing to make your head hurt this morning. God has actually lived your entire life with you from birth until death. Think about that for just a second. God has lived your entire life with you from birth until death. You say, but pastor, I'm not dead yet. There you go. God is not bound by time either. He's timeless. He's eternal. David said, this is amazing. I'm struggling with it. But you know what, God, I can't believe you still think of me. And even when I go to sleep, I wake up and you're still there. So that's David's reflection upon God. Notice nowhere did he ask for God for anything yet. Now he's going to. I want you to notice David's request of God as we finish up. First of all, he asked God to deal with his adversaries. He asked God to deal with his adversaries. You know, that's a, that's a reasonable request. He says in verse 19, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you, God, wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. He goes on to say, do I not hate them? And then he's talking about comparative to his love for God. Or do I, or, or, or Lord, who, do I not hate them who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. In other words, David was, was demonstrating his loyalty with God. And as God's man and God's leader of God's people, no, David wasn't perfect, but David struggled to make sure that he was loyal to Almighty God as he led a nation. And yes, with even within that nation of supposed godly people, there were those that hated David and hated God. And God was just saying, deal with my adversaries, Lord. I wonder what adversaries do you and I deal with? Now, certainly we don't have armies that are trying to kill us. We're not kings and queens in a sense. But you may have people giving you a hard time. They may be your adversary. You may have health issues. That's adversarial. Financial struggles can be a rough adversary. Anything that is bringing you grief, struggle, trouble, or anything that is getting in your way of trying to worship God. You know, we like to go online and talk about politics and, and talk about personalities. Listen, understand this. At the end of the day, they are not our main adversaries. As a matter of fact, we as believers have one adversary. His name is Satan. All those politi politicians, presidents, pundits, personalities, princes and princesses. These are fellow strugglers on the path. Yep, sometimes they give us grief. Sometimes we struggle. And it's okay to go to God and say, God, please help me with my adversaries. Please help me with those people or those things that are harming me and hurting me. David communicated his loyalty to God in the midst of this. But here's an interesting twist. And, and David couldn't help but do this after reflecting upon God. Understand this, when you and I get to know God better... It will change the way we perceive things and the way we think. It should. It must. Understand this. If you're the same person you were before you were saved, if you're the same person thought-wise, philosophy-wise, before you knew Jesus as Savior, then you were before. If you're the same person now, then I got to wonder, do you really know him? Because coming in contact with Almighty God is going to rock your world. It's going to rattle your cage. And it's going to change the way you perceive and the way you think. Because David has just asked God to deal with his adversaries. But notice this. 
The second request is deal with my attitudes. You know, oftentimes, oh God, go get them. Oh God, those are horrible people. Oh God, just go get, listen, deal with my attitude, Lord. That's a hard prayer to pray, isn't it? Remember the very first verse, he said, you have searched me and you have known me. He asks him to do that again. Look at verse 23. And he mentions himself four times. I'm sorry, six times in this, in these two verses. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. You know, adversaries aside, he says, Lord, search me and know my heart. Because I'm here to tell you, one of our biggest adversaries looks us in the mirror every morning. Sometimes one of the biggest enemies of God brushes our teeth. Look at me, God. Search me, God. That's scary. You can do an experiment with this if you want to see how scary it is. I'll tell you what, at two o'clock after lunch, Aaron and I, Richard's out of town, Aaron and I will get in the car, we'll come to your house and search it. Is that all right? Y'all can just stay at lunch longer. Y'all can go out and play pickleball, whatever you want to do. Aaron and I will come in. Just give us the keys. Y'all go do whatever you want to do. Kind of like when the, when the cable guy comes. No, Aaron and I will come, and we'll go through every nook and cranny. Uh, we won't take anything. At least I won't. I can't speak for Aaron. <laughs> but we'll, let, let, let's come and search your house. Even thinking about that, you kind of go, hmm. I should have cleaned out the medicine cabinet. I should have swept behind the toilet. Oh my goodness. Now here's the thing. David prayed not for God to search his house. Understand this. By the way, remember God's everywhere present. He knows everything. He's already done that in your house. Search my heart. God, search my mind. Search me, Lord, and know my heart. Here's the next one. Try me and know my anxieties. The word try mean literally means test me. I hate taking tests. I do. I'm currently involved in an education program right now. And mostly classes require writing papers. I can write papers all day. I do not do well with tests. How many people choke at tests? And I'm not ashamed to admit it either. Raise your hand. Come on, don't look at me like you, oh, I'm smart, I don't. Yeah, you do. Okay. I can't stand taking tests. David's saying, test me, God. Let me ask you a question. Are you brave enough to pray that prayer? Test me, God, and know what makes me nervous. Test me, God, and know my anxieties. And finally, he says, and once you've searched me, once you've text tested me, and as God does that, pull it up and reveal to me, Lord. Let me see it. Oh, it's an ugly thing. Jeremiah 17 says, the human heart is desperately wicked. He says, once you search me, once you test me, verse 24, and see if there's any wicked way within me. And he wasn't doing, God already knew, by the way. God, God's not going, oh, look at David. Wow, I never saw this. No, no, God already knows. He already knows what's in your heart. He already knows what's in my heart. He knows. The whole exercise here is for us to know as well. Once we know, notice what he says at the end. He says, and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Lead me in a lifestyle that will give you honor and that will have everlasting impact. Lead me in a lifestyle that's not about me to begin with. Lead me in in a lifestyle that is everlasting. In other words, not living temporarily for this world. Not looking for things that will make me happy in this world. Not meeting my agenda in this world. But Lord, lead me in a way that, that is beneficial for everlasting benefit. That is impactful for eternity. That is what the idea of knowing God is. And that's what David's request was. Yes, deal with my problems. Deal with my adversaries. But Lord, deal with my attitudes. Because here's the thing, as I said, more often than not, it's our attitude that's the biggest problem. I know mine is. And it's a scary thing to pray, search me, try me, and lead me. Skipping all the way to the New Testament, Paul also had an epiphany, if you will. Paul also, after reflecting on doctrine for 11 chapters, nearly 12 chapters, Paul has a Holy Ghost revival fit because he's been so focused on the truths and wonders of God that as we finished, I want to share these last couple of verses with you. He said in Romans chapter 11, in verse 33, he says, Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. When was the last time you were just blown away by God? Not what he's done, not what he's given, but just who he is. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He's everywhere present. He's, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's not bound by space and time. He is magnificent and majestic, and at the same time, he thinks of me. Paul says, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Paul is just reflecting upon God. And then he finally closes in verse 36 by saying, for of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. More often than not, it's of us, through us, and to us as we live our lives. It's about what we do. It's about who we are. It's about what we get. It's about what we have and don't have. But when we come to this place where God becomes our focus, we disappear. We disappear. And it's all about Him. Because at the end of the day, this is it. For of Him, He is the Creator. And through Him, He is the Sustainer. And to Him, He is the Finisher. And He deserves the glory. So I ask you again, as we finish, do you know God? Do you know Him? For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.